You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do thank you for listening. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, we have Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Farsberg on. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, talking to Phil in just a moment. And like we've started doing here, we, we're going to take time out for just a, a moment of silence to thank all those that have served, pray for those that have served, those that are serving, and those that will potentially serve uh, our great country. And we'll be back, and uh, we. With this memorial is to my friend, J. Roy Ritchie, that uh, died from uh, his being sprayed by Agent Orange. And uh, we, uh, we love J. Roy, and we respect him, and that's why we do this little moment of silent prayer. thing that we like doing here and everybody remembers these then we'll get to lieutenant colonel farsberg Enough of that, Jody, for today, and uh, hope everybody that listens in appreciates um, what we do and also the fact that we respect our military more than anyone knows, and um, we uh, hope that uh, they won't have to be called up for anything more. We still have people on active duty, and uh, we want them to come home safe and sound as soon as possible. While at the same token, we need their expertise and and their protection in getting us through day in and day out. So, with that being said, good morning, Phil. And I I thought Phil was going to be there. I'm here. I'm oh, okay. here, David. All right. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You surprised me when I didn't hear you come back on me. But we're glad to have you with us. And um, 
I think you've got a very interesting topic today that, uh, you know, it's sort of a way to describe this. There's not just one cog in a wheel. There are many, many cogs that make up that wheel that turns. And uh, I think this is what you're sort of going to be talking about, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, actually, David, uh, I wanted to talk today about um, some of the folks that may not have uh, been uh, really recognized or folks don't typically think about uh, when they think about this conflict that happened uh, in Desert Shield and Desert Storm or or actually in any conflict. But, you know, my... uh, my experience uh, with these folks, I, I'd kind of like to talk about the ones who uh, uh, who made everything work. Um, and it, you know, it's easy uh, to think of you know the army as uh, as you know infantry battalions or the uh, uh, navy as battleships or whatever. But there's so many different jobs that folks do, and uh, you can't just you, know, you can't have an infantry battalion without all the support that goes around it. And um, so, uh, the, you know, some of these folks really amazed me with the uh, with the way they were able to step up and, and do their jobs. Uh, it was just fantastic. Like a, I don't know, like a, a top uh, SEC uh, football team, you know, where everything works. Well, you know, like I said, there are a lot of cogs in a wheel that, that make it turn. And uh, you've got everything uh, from your generals down to your E1s and PFCs. And they all have yeah. a job to do. There were. Um, the um, folks that uh, I saw that... Well, what, I guess the primary ones that come to mind are the truck drivers. Uh, we had guys that, you know, you, you wouldn't think, if you ask somebody, you know, what did you do in the Army? Oh, I was I was a truck driver. You might not think that much. But these guys just did a most fantastic job. Uh, we had, I don't know where we got all these uh, uh, tractor trailers with uh, just, a, uh, we call them low boys, uh, just kind of a flatbed thing. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing about the desert is uh, there ain't that much water there. And um, <laughs> fighting fighting a war is uh, kind of thirsty work out there. Uh, it was nice that we were able to do it in February when it wasn't too hot. But, uh, you know, everybody needs water. And uh, so we were able to uh, get water out into the middle of the desert for hundreds of thousands of troops uh, just the the uh, the requirement of that is kind of staggering but uh, and also fuel you had to move fuel and uh, you know as uh, everybody knows about General Patton and his Red Ball Express and we had something very similar to that in uh, the, the just logistics train of, of drivers in trucks uh, hauling they would just line haul uh, water and uh, fuel and rations and everything you know it was it was just amazing the way that worked uh, because there's, there's not infrastructure sitting out there in the desert to uh, to support that 
only a few roads, and uh, and they were definitely covered with our with our trucks going to and from the front. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, you have your uh, military police who not only had their hands full with thousands and thousands of uh, Iraqis surrendering, uh, so that. You know, a lot of folks uh, sort of became de facto military police and taking care of uh, and managing these prisoners. But uh, also, you know, traffic management, that falls under the military police, and uh, that was uh, important. Uh, sometimes trucks break down, and when they do, they need to, somebody to fix them real quick. And uh, I was just amazed uh, at all this. Um, you know, your guard and reserve units, that uh, that came and, and did their jobs. I can recall uh, the king of Saudi Arabia had uh, decided he was going to give us all the fuel we needed for our operations, and uh, we uh, there was a form of kerosene. Uh, it's called JP8. Uh, JP is for jet propellant, and uh, so it was a jet fuel like a kerosene, uh, and. Uh, Everything, almost everything in the theater operated on this JP-8, and it was flowing like nobody's business. And they had these, uh, like, filling stations on the side of the road. And uh, I remember taking a trip up to go see some of my four deployed troops, and uh, we needed fuel, and we pulled into one of these uh, little filling stations. And uh, I think the oldest private i ever seen in my life <laughs> was from somewhere in Mississippi in a reserve or guard unit, and uh, well, he was just uh, the most motivated and happy uh, fellow, you know, pumping the fuel. He even said he would give me green stamps, if you remember what those are. Oh, yeah, I, I remember very well. <laughs> that goes back a few years. You know, I, I've got to yeah. add that uh, I have a friend that uh, there were a lot of women truck drivers, and uh, she was uh, she was one of them, as a matter of fact, and uh, was working in the uh, like you said the the traffic flow department, I guess you'd call it, and making sure the trucks were loaded and going out, and and then on occasion she drove one, and uh, you know I guess probably Desert Shield and Desert Storm is. Uh, and you were there, so you can answer my question. Was a very not not only well orchestrated, but everybody. It was all teamwork, and everybody working together for to get the hell out of there. You, you got that right, David. Uh, you know, our number one. If you ever been there to uh, that part of the world, you know, first thing in my mind is when can I leave here? <laughs> uh, so we all. <clears throat> We're working hard as we could to uh, toward that end because uh, President Bush, H.W. Uh, Bush, had, had basically told us that uh, no one leaves until the mission's done. So all we wanted to know at that point was, what's the mission and what do you want me to do? And uh, everybody had that same goal in mind, I guess, right? It seems. Uh, <laughs> I had a... Uh, yeah, uh, it was it was quite good. Uh, you know, with with everybody working toward that goal, I was even I was surprised at how quickly we wrapped things up. Um, you know, another 
uh, there's just your uh, your planners. The the folks who did the planning for that uh, had just uh, amazing foresight uh, and had thought of everything about you know what it would take to uh, to fight a war in that kind of environment. I can recall sitting down in the mess hall at one point, uh, sharing a table with a couple of uh, enlisted folks. I asked them where they were from, what the unit they were in. And they said they were from uh, some unit in the, uh, I think, North Dakota National Guard. Uh, And I asked them what what was their job. And they said they were 77 whiskeys. I said, well, I don't know what that is. He said, they said, rope you. I said, I don't, I don't, what's rope you? He said, reverse osmosis water purification units. Hmm. They, uh, these guys, I mean, the Army had these folks who could just drive down to the Arabian Gulf, toss a line in the water, suck up this murky uh, salt water, and run it through their machines and come up with fresh water. Wow! And they put them on these uh, these big uh, bladders. I, we call them blivets. They just fill them up with uh, with water, and I don't know how many thousands of gallons of water there were. But uh, and then they fill them up as they sat on the back of these uh, low boy trucks, and and these guys would drive them four hundred miles out into the desert, drop it off, turn around, and drive straight back with an empty truck. Um, was just fascinating to me, just the, the planning that went into that uh, to say, well, you know, we need a special job skill for folks who can make fresh water. Uh, and you know what? There's plenty of fresh water there if you just take the salt and muck out of it. <laughs> and uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, the devil's and, uh, in the details. Take the smirk and the muck out of it. Yeah, salt. <laughs> yeah, makes it a little more palatable. Um, Listen, let me ask you: Was, in your opinion, how much of this planning was done in the states, and how much of the planning was done in country? Oh, I would say the vast majority of it was done in the U.S. Uh, and uh, you know, and it had gone back. I can recall being a lieutenant. Uh, back in the uh, oh probably eight or ten years prior to this uh, we had gone uh, we, we were working a, uh, a an operations plan and we were doing the war games uh, and you know we had planned what we would do if uh, if the Soviet Union had come down to take the, uh, the oil fields uh in uh, Iran and uh, Iraq and uh, Saudi Arabia. And so we had, um, you know, a lot of this stuff were just kind of permutations of that original plan. Uh, And uh, so, you know, but there are folks out there planning all sorts of things, Uh, Arctic warfare, uh, tropical warfare, and urban warfare uh just you know i guess their main question is what if what if right and, uh, they just do a fantastic job what if, what if we run out of uh our we've already run over our first break but we're going to take it anyway and we'll be back 
with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg right after a couple of announcements. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're certainly glad to have you listening to America's Web Radio. And want to remind everybody that North Georgia has become quite a point for monuments and uh, memorials to our heroes. Uh, we've got the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame in downtown Atlanta, right across the street from the state capitol. We've got uh, the Wall that Heals in Johns Creek, Georgia, and then we have a uh, memorial in Peachtree Corners, which is uh, for for veterans, and uh, it's paved with bricks with uh, different names on it. And uh, all of this is just in memory of and to salute those that have raised their right hand and served in the military and in most, if not all cases, given the ultimate sacrifice. They've, sent, they've signed the blank check, and then they made it good. And we invite you to, if, you're, if you live in Atlanta, please go by the different locations. If you're traveling to Atlanta, and uh, for whatever reason, make these stopping points. It's, in fact, they've even got a whole tour now that's a day you can drive from one to the next to the next, and it's going to be... We're going to be pushing it, and it's a great thing that they're doing. And what uh, Phil does, and I want to embellish a little bit on this as well, is he's a volunteer with the DAV and all of these organizations, VFW, DAV, American Legion, all of them have service officers. And if you're... if you come out of the military and you need help or your family needs help in getting questions answered, then please find a service officer. There are so many benefits that are overlooked by so many folks that are available to veterans, to our veterans. And it's a small way of thanking our veterans. Wow, I wasn't expecting that one. But anyway, let's get back to... uh, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and our unsung heroes. Would that be a fair statement, Phil? Yeah, 
sure I'll forget folks. Um, and, and I'm sure there, there are many folks that I'm not aware of that, uh, did just fantastic jobs, uh, over there. Uh, but you know, some that come to mind, uh, you know, are your maintainers, the folks that, uh, maintain my aircraft, that, that maintain our vehicles, our generators, um, you know, just you just can't do without folks uh, uh, that are that are good at what they do. Um, and then, this, speaking of maintaining, uh, there are the folks that maintained uh, the health and lives uh, of our troops, uh, our doctors and nurses, uh, physicians assistants, medics, uh, corpsmen. Uh, just did fantastic. Uh, job over there and not to uh, in any way discount uh, our ambulance drivers and our air ambulance uh, pilots uh, and crews just fantastic uh, you know the, the lives that they saved uh, it, and not you know not just uh, American or, or allied lives but they saved a lot of lives of uh, of Iraqis you know our enemy and it, it goes uh, really a lot toward uh, saying what sort of force we had, and uh, you know, uh, uh, really the, uh, the the pure nature of service that was going on there, and, and the lack of malice. Um, just uh, I, I can't say enough for these folks. They're just they're my heroes, and I love them all. You know, Phil, I, I, I was thinking that um, I wonder how many other countries appreciate and respect the United States for the way we we conduct a war. And, uh, you know, we have the quote-unquote Geneva Convention, which a lot of countries didn't sign, but yet we live by it. And uh, we don't torture our prisoners of war. We don't... In fact, uh, we give them a hand out and a hand up in many cases. And, you know, I, I just wonder around the world if, well, and I'm, I'm going to answer my own question, I think. I don't think we as a country publicize that enough in the way we treat our enemies. And we should. And, you know, people, if they don't know about it, then they can't appreciate it. And I think we do. I think what we do, we'll always give a handout and a hand up and be the first to, you know, some of that purified water, I bet, went to our enemies as well. Yes, of course. Uh, you know, we, when somebody surrenders to us, they become uh, basically our charge to take care of. And uh, so, you know, we always uh, try to exercise the greatest uh, uh, compassion toward these folks that you know and uh, it it just goes a long way people know when you surrender to the Americans you, you're not uh, you're not going to be abused they, and they they're respected as uh, you know they're wearing the uniform of their country and their country maybe uh, like Saddam has gone out and uh embarked on some uh, 
misadventures, uh, but uh, it's really not it's really not uh, personal between the troops. You know, I mean, it gets a little personal when it when it's hot and heavy. When the shooting stops, uh, there's plenty of time for compassion. You know, and can you uh, or would you feel comfortable in naming any other country that really, well, maybe Great Britain, I can't answer for them and I can't answer for Canada or France, but is there any other country that's as compassionate as we are? I don't know of any. Um, but, you know, it, it pays off. It really pays off um, in uh Hopefully, how our troops are treated uh, if they uh, wind up on the other side of the of the coin. Um, what can I say? Yeah. The, uh, you know, it's uh, war is dirty business, and uh, shouldn't be any dirtier than we have to. You know, this is this is something that uh, we've said here many times: is that uh, you know. When Hollywood, particularly after World War II, and they Hollywood took it and tried to uh, romanticize it and tried to, you know, show all of the good and and so forth and so on, and you know, uh, people falling in love and all this. And I'm not saying it didn't happen; some of it did, certainly. But I don't know of anything about a war that's glamorous or that's uh, clean or that's anything that um, well, well, what's the old saying war is hell and uh, you know if you're yeah, being... now, now you're quoting uh, my hero <laughs> Bill Sherman um, and his quote was uh, war is all hell and you cannot refine it I you know no question about that. And this is where I, and I don't want to get political, but uh, if you have people that are making decisions for our warriors that have never been there, never done that, and really don't know what they're talking about, I have a problem with it. And uh, I think war sh- should be left to the professionals. And like yourself, sir, you as a lieutenant colonel and I, as you know I have many friends that go on up to generals and uh, they're the professionals they're the ones that should make the decisions on how the war is being fought and what what our soldiers should be faced with and what they should do under different circumstances and uh, you were in the you field know, but, uh, necessarily by uh the construct of our constitution uh, we don't <clears throat> we don't have a military uh, government sometimes our uh, military is uh, compelled to uh, establish some form of of government and civilization uh, in the territories that we've uh, basically destroyed their civilization and, uh, and but, those uh, those units are called Civil affairs units, and I yeah, very, civil affairs, but, very well you know, acquainted with that. Yeah, but, you know, ultimately, the construct of, of our Constitution says that our military is the servant of a civil government. Right. And, uh, you know, and therefore, the president is commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy. 
according to the Constitution. That that I don't disagree with at all, and and support. I uh, I guess what I where I was coming from was uh, our congressional leaders, and many of them have not served, and many of them, uh, and in some cases, make some of the uh, decisions of what our military will and will not do, and that's that's when. They should take the advice and listen carefully to those that been there, done that, and uh, we should get more of that, in my opinion. But that's only my opinion, and uh, I uh, we are very fortunate that our military respects our civilian way of life, and the civilian way of life should, in turn, respect the military. Yeah, I... Uh I've been to a number of nations where the, uh, you know, I guess you can sort of <clears throat> determine uh, how much of a true republic you're in by the, how much of a difference there is between a soldier and a policeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in some countries, the, uh, the lines are extremely blurred. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, I've been to some countries where, that you know, their uh, their armed forces were not there uh, to necessarily defend the nation. Uh, they're they're basically to keep the people in check, and uh, we need to guard against any anything that would approach that. Right. Well, you know, and I, I guess beyond one other book, I have. All the respect in the world for our Constitution and those that wrote it, and I, I marvel day in and day out because we do a lot of shows that are are uh, not on just the Constitution, but uh, skirt the fringe of the Constitution many times. And our founding fathers, I don't think, can be touched uh, by any country or any ever any other civilization our founding fathers looked into the crystal ball and saw hundreds of years in advance and that's why it still works yeah I mean they did a masterful job and you know I'd be quick to point out uh, that when you uh, when you sign up when you raise your hand uh to be in the armed forces, you are um, you must swear an oath to uh, support and uh, defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I know you you've taken that oath, um, David. Yes, sir. And um, so have I, and everybody else that, that serves in uniform. So um, just uh, you know, I, I had a friend who was from. Uh, the UK, and uh, when they get their commission, they swear their allegiance uh, to the Queen of England or the Queen of the UK or whatever it is. And um, you know, I was a little bit uh, a little bit shocked by that because we don't we don't swear fealty to uh, any uh, person. Our our allegiance is to the Constitution. 
And so it's, it's a very precious document to those of us who serve. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, with that being said, too, I we don't swear allegiance to it, but we certainly respect our flag. And as the flag is being raised or being lowered or being presented in front of us, we we do have an allegiance to our flag and to our constitution and and respect both of them and anyone that doesn't you know i've well let me just ask you if you were to trip across uh, be walking down the street and there was a group stomping and burning your flag what would you do i've often asked myself that question what would i do in that circumstance well um you know, I don't. I don't want to uh, infringe on anybody's civil liberties, but uh, if if I saw, you know, the flag of my country laying on the ground, I would certainly stop, pick it up, and uh, and render appropriate honors to it. Yes, sir. You know, this is uh, again. This is what. A lot of folks don't understand, and then we're talking about Desert Storm and Desert Shield, and the uh, number of people. When I when I was in um, active duty, the number was it, it took. Uh, some people said five, some people said seven, uh, behind the lines to keep that person that was in country and fighting going. And uh, when I say behind the lines, it could be in-country, it could be back in the States, it could be anywhere that were actively supporting our troops that were in-country and and doing the job for us. And uh, I don't think that's changed a whole lot as far as the numbers go, whether it's five or seven. It really doesn't matter, but like you said earlier, Phil, the, the unsung heroes are really in many cases, the heroes. And um, I have kicked myself uh, a number of times for the for the way I felt uh, about conscientious objectors, uh, particularly in Vietnam. And yet many of them turned out to be some of the best soldiers going. They just didn't carry a weapon. They carried a medical bag or they, you know, they did things that... Uh, others wouldn't and yet now i you know i have to respect them for the job that they did in most cases yeah i guess the older i get the more uh introspective i get about it i'm not i'm not so much interested in uh in you know what other folks are doing or if it's right or wrong i'm more interested in making sure what i'm doing and saying and uh, acting on is uh, is right and uh, proper, and um, so sometimes it gives me pause to think. Well, I think um, just what you said, a lot of which comes with age and uh, and experience. And when I say experience, I would venture to say there there are things in your mind that you may not even be conscious of that you call on as a reflection and a circumstance that happened with you or happened with you and one or two or ten other people or a hundred other people 
but that because of age and experience, you're able to take the positive and put that with your the feelings of today. Well, yeah, I'd like to think that uh, I'm always uh, that put together, but uh, sometimes I'm not, and uh, those those times humble me. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, as we're talking about, uh, you know, the unsung heroes, uh, I, I really would be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, like you were alluding to, David, the folks back home, uh, families, the support, um, the morale support that uh, we felt uh, from the folks at home was really, really quite inspiring. You know, we're a, we're a very blessed country, and the family support is second to none, and our electronics, as we go day by day, become better and better, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I just can't imagine, like, in my father's situation, he was a captain in the Navy and served in the Pacific, and uh, I can't imagine what it was like for for him and my mother when, you know, it would take, literally it could take months to even get a letter, and now we have almost instant access, and, uh, you know, just, and how, how important it was to get that letter. Even when I was in uh, basic and AIT, you know, it was always fun to have mail call and be one of the one of the ones that got a letter. And we had telephones, but we certainly didn't have the electronics that we have today, where you can uh, do a Zoom conference call or do a Zoom call or whatever. And uh, it was still important to get those letters from home and that box of smushed up cupcakes or cake or whatever it happened to be but it was always good it didn't matter how how messed up it was it was always good <laughs> yeah uh not uh not getting a letter uh at mail call was a little bit uh of a letdown but uh <clears throat> we uh we really did uh, have a great deal of support from the folks back home and, um, you know, we we're very, very grateful for it. Um, they, uh, uh, they kept us going, you know. Uh, so while we're talking about folks that, that I appreciate that, uh, that did their job, uh, you know, folks, there are folks who uh, come out and never set foot in the, in the desert because they were on a ship somewhere. And these ships were doing all sorts of things, such as uh, uh, sending cruise missile uh, uh, messages to Saddam uh, <laughs> and his forces. They were um, launching and recovering uh, aircraft that were uh, dealing uh, some of our uh, greatest uh, uh, letters. Uh, messages to uh, to Saddam, um, folks. I mean, the, the ships that uh, that carted our stuff over there. 
um, we had to send some of our soldiers to, to ride along on the ships with our equipment. And uh, turned out uh, we didn't have enough uh, U.S. flag merchant air, merchant uh, sea craft to uh, to take all our stuff. We had a lot of contractors from other countries uh, lifting our stuff over there. And uh, so, you know, uh, my absolute thanks to them and uh, everybody that was part of the team, no matter how uh, great or small your perceived uh, job was, has really, uh, I just think that the absolute best of you guys uh, and yells, and I, I thank, thank God for you that you were there because it made the whole thing come together didn't didn't seem that it was quick but uh in, in retrospect it, it was like a blink of an eye all right you know i'd like to mention one other thing and this is that you know at at any given point we have folks deployed it doesn't mean they're in a in a war zone it just means that we have them deployed to different places all over the world and it's certainly, and, and Phil, you can embellish this or correct me if I make a mistake, but you have situations where a husband and wife uh, live on base, and certainly if they're deployed, then, you know, their neighbors know what's going on, so forth and so on. If they live in a home off base, then a lot of times the neighbors don't know that the husband or wife has been deployed to a foreign country and and is going to be there for a while. And I know I did this first when uh, we went into uh, Desert Shield and uh, and we called up reservists and. I went on radio and asked that neighbors take care of your neighbors that have been deployed. Take care of their yard, offer to help the wife or offer to do this or do that. And keep in mind that that there's a reservist, unlike the active duty folks, uh, were not necessarily totally prepared to be called up and go in. And so there may be some things that need to be done or the or the spouse that's left behind that has to change the light bulb and there's a time there's a period of time that the one left behind even with kids can find themselves very lonesome and in need of the the wife the neighbor next door to uh, just talk to and uh, same way with family uh, family should never leave the spouse that was left behind without somebody to talk to and it can be very lonely and uh, so it's you know and again I can't address other countries by any means but this is the United States is made up of good people and we show it all the time and like I've said and started saying is we respect our first responders, certainly, our EMTs, our police, our fire department. But that's what our country is. We are first responders. And that's true with our military. That's true with our 
politicians that say, yes, let's go help. And that's what we are. We're helpers. Well, yeah, and teamwork definitely uh, makes things go. Uh, as far as families, I don't remember. Uh, I was really there. Uh, I was based out of a little place called uh, Fort Hood, Texas, which is <laughs> the largest military installation in the world. And uh, and has a lot of that soft dirt that you get to walk around in. Yeah, I had a, had a friend of mine from the U.K., and uh, he was complaining to me that uh, that we had Fort Hood. It was uh, it was bigger than the Netherlands. <laughs> and I said, well, sometimes we have to defend the Netherlands, and we need a place to practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> Fort Hood. Uh, uh, I've spent many a night at Fort Hood, and uh, you know that base goes around the clock. And uh, you'll have artillery going off in the middle of the night. You'll have the, uh, I don't even know, the flares. Well, they're not flares, but they light up the whole countryside, you know. Yeah, the illumination rounds. Yeah, that, uh, you know, and I don't know where you'd have to be at Fort Hood to get a good night's sleep. But um, (laughs) it goes 24 hours. It never stops. Yeah, it's a it's an important uh, part of our of our national defense, Fort Hood. Um, but I can recall my wife telling me, you know, the the, the main town outside of Fort Hood is, uh, is Killeen, Texas, and uh, that, that's Colleen. My wife telling me, well, you wouldn't believe it. She said you could you could uh, go out and, and toss a rock down the middle of uh, Rancier Boulevard, which is some of the main drag there uh, at noon, and uh, you wouldn't hit anybody. <laughs> she says completely deserted. By the uh, way, that's that's Colleen. <laughs> yeah, the way the uh, way us Texans call it anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I don't think you should throw a rock <laughs> down the middle of the road um, any time of day. But. <clears throat> Yeah, the uh, so the folks back home basically, uh, you know, they were sort of left uh, to fend for themselves. It wasn't it wasn't quite like uh, on the same uh, uh, level or duration as say uh, uh, World War Two. But you know, some of the folks back home, the women that took on uh, non traditional roles, really showed uh, what they could do when uh, push came to shove. And uh, and that and that means a lot, you know, to to the men who who've gone and deployed, you know, to know that, that these folks are making it back home. They're doing all right. Oh yeah, and uh, we have, like I said, we're just the best people in the world, no question about it. And uh, it's from coast to coast. It doesn't matter whether you're a Yankee or a Southerner or Westerner or whatever you are. You're an American, and I think that's something that, generally speaking, not to everybody by any means, but generally speaking, is instilled, and people recognize what we have, and I hope they recognize that if something happens, what we 
could conceivably lose. And we're just the greatest country in the world and have the greatest military in the world as well. Well, um, you get no argument from me. But uh, the uh, we do, you know, have to always participate in our government and uh, make the... Uh, you know, make the tough choices uh, and and do the things, and, uh, and above all, show concern for each other. Um, because it's uh, you know, it takes all of us really to get along. Uh, and uh, on that note, David, I would like to <clears throat> talk a little bit about what you had brought up earlier about. Uh, about being a service officer with the disabled American veterans, uh, there are so many uh, benefits that have been earned by veterans uh, through their military service, and uh, one of the great shames is that um, they either uh, don't know about them or they uh, are run into uh, roadblocks and in trying to access the benefits that they've earned. and. Uh, I'd just like to enumerate a few of them for you right now, uh, and those are, of course, education, home loans, health care, um, disability compensation, pensions, um, there's uh, education assistance for dependents um, in certain cases. It's just, uh, there's so many benefits, uh, just the VA home loan on its own is uh a tremendous benefit uh, that uh, is very useful to folks. And uh, if you uh, just go to va.gov and take a look at the various benefits that you can avail if you happen to be a veteran. Uh, and, you know, these these kind of benefits uh, basically are a great inducement to folks to serve. And uh, so if they get you in with... Uh, with this kind of um, enticement, then uh, you should certainly be able to take advantage of it uh, when time comes. Well, you know, Phil, we we mention this every show, and so it's time to mention it again. If you're a graduating high school senior or you've been to college or you're graduating from uh, college and you haven't quite decided what you want to do, I can guarantee you, and Phil will support me in this, I think. There is one branch or the other that can offer you the dream of a lifetime. And the military is so involved in so many things, everything from high tech to, you know, you name it, and they got it. And if you haven't made a decision what you want to do in life, please take a look at the military. Go to, uh, you know, some of the different... uh, organizations of the recruiting services and find out what they offer that you might be interested in and you know because of the way we treat our military now we and i love the fact that it's volunteer we have the best the cream of the crop and you will be associated with some of the best people you may be you may be in a infantry platoon and the guy next to you winds up in 20 years president of the united states you never know 
But it's it's just amazing what you'll get out of the military. And all branches offer so many different things. And, you know, I guess there's a lot more of this going on than I realized, uh, Phil, is that uh, you join the Army and then, you know, two years in in the Army or whatever, and the Navy comes out with something that's very enticing, and you switch branches. And I didn't realize as much of that. A lot of that goes on, and I didn't realize how much. But uh, the branches unto themselves are very competitive. The Marines are very competitive to get Army folks to uh, change from Army to Marines or, you know, different different situations. And uh, I didn't realize how much of that goes on, but it does. And if if uh, another branch offers something that you really want to get involved in, then you can switch branches and get credit for what you've already done. Uh, am I missing anything there, Phil? No, uh, I think that's right. And, you know, you should always investigate opportunities. And, you know, I talk to people all the time who've served in multiple branches um, because, it, you know, their interests changed or they, they got offered a better deal. Uh, uh, just a comical story. I, uh, I served, my last tour was in uh, uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, the uh, we used, I used to take my kids to all the military band concerts we could find, <laughs> and uh, I they, love of course it. they're all free. And that's a great uh, uh, thing to do, uh, especially in the summertime in, in the district. And uh, well, <clears throat> I I got to be friends with uh, some of the folks that were uh, that were in these uh, organizations, and uh, they would tell me about. Um, competitions that uh, uh, kind of uh, rivalries that existed and uh, they would recruit away from uh, uh, each other the the best musicians they could find and uh, this one fellow was kind of bragging to me that the uh, he was in the the army field band and they had recruited away somebody from uh, from the Marine Band, uh, and it's just, I guess it goes back and forth and uh, kind of poaching from each other. But yeah, sure. Folks uh, folks frequently find a, a better deal from a, a different service, and they just, when their commitment's up, they just move on over. And they're, I mean, I, I know a fellow who, uh, who just served, uh, a friend of mine, his son, uh, served for uh, a tour as an Army medic. In the uh, in the big red one, or what we used to call the big red one, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he just moved over to uh, to be in the Coast Guard because uh, they offered him uh, something more uh, appealing. That's interesting. Recruiting among the branches—that's uh, I think that's very interesting. But that you know, it's very healthy too, in my opinion, and. Uh, Everybody should want to be with the best or are satisfied with uh, and ecstatic with what they're doing. And, uh, you know, the the bottom line is getting up in the morning and putting on that uniform, no matter what color it is. Sure. And that's the, that's the important thing. And, uh, you know, again, I, I want to uh, 
compliment our mutual friend Rick White and the job he does with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. It's outstanding. And uh, Mike Mazell, who is in charge of the the wall that heals out in Johns Creek, Georgia, and it's a replica of the Vietnam Veterans Wall in Washington, D.C. And I'm I'm very proud to announce, and we're going to get more details on this, and maybe you could fill me in a little bit, Phil. We only got a minute to go, but on the uh, memorial that's going to be coming up in D.C. for Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Uh, yeah, I've already shared with you everything I know about okay. that. Okay. Uh, I think they're working on uh, selecting a site right now, and they have a commission to put it together. So um, should be nice. I'm looking forward to visiting it one day. Well, that that falls under the should be, you know. We have to honor our veterans no matter where they served, and whether it was conflict or not con- non-conflict. The point of the matter is, like you said earlier in the show, Phil, we take we all take the same oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America from both domestic and foreign. And you know, this is this is something that I still get chill bumps thinking about it. And uh, with that being said, we're going to have to put the plug in the jug and get out of here. Phil, thank you for another great Monday, and uh, we look forward to You're working welcome, with you, David. Thank you. Next week, take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.